If you've invested in your business, chances are you've funded future growth potential through leverage and after filling out loan applications and undergoing credit checks. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Australian Business Podcast. I'm Daniel Golubev. I'm Jordan Kittis. I'm Owen Rask. We're here to help you make more profit, find work-life balance, save time, capital, and grow your business. Every week, we drop the best tax tips, marketing hacks, growth strategies, and methods to help you grow. If you haven't already, take the free Rask Business Course. Book a chat with me or Daniel at Grayspace. Or get in contact with us about business coaching. We also love hearing from you. So send us your questions and feedback using the resources found in the podcast player for each episode. Let's get into it. Uh, Daniel and Jordan, welcome to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, lovely to be here as always. Thank you for having me because you guys have been doing all the uh, the structuring episodes lately on the show and we've got a couple of questions on that today. So we just crossed through 10,000 um, 10, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, T-Rex arms, double cobra. Um, whatever you got. <laughs> yeah, whatever you got. <laughs> um, we are recording this live for anyone that is wondering if we read off a script we definitely do not uh, unless it says a lot of ums and ahs in the script and <laughs> <laughs> um no we don't so if you want to we're going to try and do these every week um i've been on the road you guys have been super busy lately um but what have you been working on maybe jordan what have you been working on mate um this week i've actually been trying to focus on seo so i've taught myself now i'm just trying to implement it and using all the different tools so that's been an interesting journey and we'll mm. see we'll see in the next couple of months if it works or not if there's been uh, any increase in traffic yeah yeah fair enough what's uh what's the name of the the website mate what should i be looking for gs advisory we just got a new website actually that oh it, really um, yeah we did like a rebrand or oh, i don't even know if you'd call it a rebrand but we just fixed up the website yeah we fixed up the website and now we're starting to put blogs out cool i'm gonna uh, do this live for anyone that's watching on youtube uh, so I've just Googled GS Advisory and there's a photo of Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. Daniel. Not I'm, the bouncer, I'm the bouncer to get into this one as well. <laughs> yeah. So we click on it. Um, oh, wow. The website is sleek and it loads so much faster. Mm. That's incredible. There's still, a few, there's still a few things that we're working out. There's still some pages that aren't loading properly, but we're getting there. Guys, this looks really sleek. Well done. Um, anyone who hasn't checked out gsadvisory.com.au, check it out. Um, can I ask a question then? How much did it cost you to do this? 7000 Seven and a half. Don't miss that half there, Jordan. <laughs> um, so. plus, plus GST? Yeah. Okay. GST as well. Now, all of a sudden, it's 8000 
<laughs> this is this is great. So you guys, this has just come up really well, and anyone would say that this is really really cool. So it goes, okay, cool. So um, yeah, well, let's have a quick talk about this um, SEO. So one thing that's really important to SEO is when you have a website, is that you name the permalink. This is like the actual URL that you have at the top of the page. That you actually name it something that looks right. So it actually looks like, you know, for example, if you were searching for the Grayspace Advisory podcast, the way Google SEO engine reads this is it reads GSA Advisory podcast, right? Because mm. it's separated by the slash. Um, whereas a lot of people might name this something like media or they might name it as forward slash content or forward slash whatever. What you want to do is you want to name it something like the SEO term that they're searching. Right. So, in this, so in this instance, let's say you had two podcasts, you would categorize it as gsaadvisory.com.au forward slash podcast forward slash tax. And then if they search tax podcast, GSA advisory, it would show up as number one. Yep. But then if you did another one as, I don't know, say like, uh, uh, give me like accounting, right? Then that would come up because the, the way the SEO engine reads this is that it doesn't read the slash and it doesn't read hyphens. So yeah, that's okay. That's why naming your pages is vitally important for SEO. Whereas a lot of people that are new to SEO, they name it something like something crazy, like it is just a terrible name. And so anyone building a website should be really thinking about how they what what URL they commit because this is one of the SEO secrets that I've kind of figured out is that if you change the URL, game over. Even if you do a redirect, it's basically like may as well not even bother. Yeah, you do not want to change it, and it takes six to twelve months typically for you to see the impact of this. So, another thing to keep in mind. Cool, well, that's good. Um, I was uh, up at South by Southwest this week, up in your, your neck of the woods. How was that? How was the uh, on-stage presentation? It's good. Yeah, it's good. I was just hosting some lawyers. Um, well, well out of my depth, um, as for sure. I was definitely um, treading water with the people that were on stage with me, but it was great. Thanks to IP Australia for setting it all up, uh, Lauren. I really appreciate it. But interestingly enough, here's some stats for you guys. Only 4% of businesses have trademarks. Of the businesses that have trademarks, uh, those are typically more profitable than those without. It just goes to show people are taking it seriously, I guess. Um, But the number of trademarks or percentage of trademarks I learned is actually one of the lowest uh, rates of trademarks uh, for small businesses in the OECD. So that's, that's really interesting. Another thing is, that I learned on stage was that if you file for a trademark in Australia using a, the trademark checker tool, um, if you file for a trademark, you can. there's a certain window that you have where you can then um, lodge an international equivalent as well. And it actually kind of like unifies it so you don't need to go over through the process in other markets. Mm. And on average, it takes about seven months to get a trademark. Um, I try, I'll tell you one thing though that I did, right, guys? I tried to trademark the Australian Business Podcast. Didn't work. Really? Yeah. Too broad? Too descriptive. So oh, right. if your logo or your name, this is my, I'm not a lawyer, you guys know this. Um, <laughs> if your logo or name is something that could be like almost anti-competitive to someone else, so say like Australian Business Podcast, that's like there's many podcasts that exist on business in Australia. Right. Right. Makes sense. But let's say it was um, GSA advisory podcast. Maybe there's something there because you have a very unique name. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. And um, sort of makes sense. Yeah. I'll, I'll do one final thing. I know, this, I know we're doing um, question and answer session, but um, you can actually check for a trademark in like 10 seconds. So you just go on to the website, TM Checker. Yep, sure. I read the disclaimer. And let's put in a, <laughs> let's put in a word. Uh, GS. Oh, God. So gray space advisory. Um, and what is it in? It's in professional services. We're about to become undone, Daniel. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, here we go. Live on air. We need to cash in the, the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just have a quick look. Okay, so it looks like there's a few other things that exist. But what can happen with a trademark is it can be in a particular category. So I can see for those of you that aren't watching, you can you can see it says the gray space and you click on details and I don't know where this is from, but um, it looks like it's in educational services. So it's outside, it's probably outside of where you guys are. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's how you can check for trademarks super quick. And if you're setting up a business, we covered this a bit in the course, but if you're setting up a business, if you go and buy the business name, build a logo, get the website, set up your email address, get a bank account sorted, and then find that the trademark is already registered. Goodbye. Goodbye. All that money. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's the digression. What do you guys want to talk about? Uh, I reckon we go through some of these questions that we've got. We've got some, some funny ones, some good ones that I hope I can, hope we can answer. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll um, answer to the best of our ability anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, so some of them are a bit of fun, I think. Um, but there was one, and we'll do the SEO question that I got sent separately at the end. Cool. Um, cool. But Shane sent in a question that said, "I am setting up a childcare recruitment agency, and I'm looking into software. I I have done your business course. I'm just confused about all the apps for timesheets and staff availability. I want one to use with zero. Any suggestions? Thanks very much. So do you guys, you guys do with zero every day. Do you yeah. know of any time sheeting or, you know, rostering style software? Yeah, I think the most common one would be Deputy. Um, that's probably been around, I don't know, but the, the one I've seen sort of the most is Deputy. It's probably been around for a couple of years now. Um, there is a new one that sort of zero have up there and they're sort of rated quite highly. I personally haven't used it or seen anyone using it yet, but that's called Roster Elf. Um, so it really depends on the business itself, what you're looking for out of a software solution. Trials are the best thing you can do. So give it a go. Find if it has a solution to your problem. Right? Okay. It's not just like an industry sort of mm. use this, it'll fix all your issues. It won't. Yeah, I'd be looking for a solution specific to you and what you're looking to get out of it. Yeah, and that's – sorry, do you to cut you off, Jordan? Go for it. I was just going to say, and even the zero timesheet function as well, if you don't want to pay for an extra um, app bolt-on, there's that zero timesheet function too. But like Daniel said, industry-specific, there's a lot of like there's a lot of apps where they do multiple things where you can have it like a, as a, a CRM as well as your timesheet function. Like if you're in the trade space, ServiceMate has that ability. Hmm. So it just depends what industry you're in. Yeah, I think if you've got casual workers, I think these – add-ons are really, really useful. If you've just got um, like full-timers or permanent workers, then like your zero timesheets will suffice. I just don't think they're good enough for casuals, especially if you've got multiple casuals. You can just get out of hand very quickly. It's very reliant on the staff member, the zero, just like the basic one. 
That's interesting. Yeah. So we don't use any Wasteran because everyone's basically either a contractor, like just you know, on a project or um, a staff member, like a full-time yeah. staff member. So this is, is this the one that you were talking about before? I've just got it up on my screen here. For those yeah, that don't know. That's a new one that they've um, got out there. There's a lot of reviews and they're all really, really good. Um, okay. Cool. So, yeah, I, like I said, I haven't used it personally, um, but generally speaking, people are quite harsh on reviews, especially with software add-ons. So I can yeah. only assume it's decent. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, if you're with Zero, Zero has, has this wonderful thing. It's, it's apps.zero.com, and you can just search by kind of function or by need if you will, for your business, you can search for the top rated integrations and you can see how good they are and you can um, see all the comments and what people are using them for in the, uh, the at the bottom of the page. You just click on the product and you can just get the app from there. Uh, it's super easy. Zero obviously loves it when you do that because they make money. So um, thank you as a shareholder. Uh, so that would make a lot of sense. So we've got Roster Alpha and we've got Deputy, um, which are two great recs. If anyone uses anything different, can you please write into us? And you can write into us by... Uh, using the link in your show notes. You can also send us feedback. And one of the things that we wanted to do is um, if you do want to become part of this new segment that we're rolling out, which is um, well, someone called it Talkback, but it's kind of like you come on, it's like a, a story that you tell us about your business and you basically get like live coaching and live uh, accounting feedback and strategy by just coming on the show and talking to us about your business Super easy. You just come on, tell us candidly about your business and what you do, uh, and then we'll um, help you on your journey. You can just write into us and tell us what you do, and we'll go from there. Leave some contact information. The next question, which was, which is a bit of the next two come from uh, Jay Metha, um, who says there's two questions and they're very, very, very different to each other. <laughs> so Jay, thanks for sending these in, um, and I think everyone listening to this is kind of going to be like these are kind of like. This is testing the three of our limits here. Um, so I'll, <laughs> we'll see how we go. So the first one was, I want to start a kid's snacks brand. One competitor in Canada sources the finished product from India and has it shipped to, uh, to Canada. The other sources raw materials from India slash China and processes it in Melbourne. How do I evaluate which method is better? So who wants to tackle the snack brands question? Oh, I can I can start it and hopefully build <laughs> off it. Um, I think the first thing you need to do is probably source a very small portion from each to see if there's a difference in quality as well. So um, you're assuming we're running this comparison on the exact same identical product. The chances of it being exact same identical, I, I'm going to say pretty slim because I have a feeling that the difference in, in freight shipping times probably will have an effect on the quality of the product. Right, I could be wrong. I um, agree. Yeah. So, first thing I'll do is literally run a taste comparison, and what you can do from it. Next thing you know, you probably should be factoring in the like the useful life, if that changes it. So even if let's say they're the same, but the useful life is shorter from the one that's coming from Canada because it's gone from India to Canada and then to Australia. So does that have an effect or anything? You know, really important because. Doing anything in bulk is always cheaper. So if you can produce in bulk, it's generally going to cost you a little bit less, but that means your shelf life has to be longer than your competitor. Mm. So all these things need to be factored in. Once you've worked out sort of if – let's assume they're identical. Let's assume they're identical product. There's no difference, and it's just simply how to get across. Then it's a cost. 
sort of, Mm. it's a cost question. Next, it's what's more expensive? Is there a difference in freight? What's the timing of getting additional stock? Let's say your demand all of a sudden skyrockets. You had a really successful marketing campaign. You got all these leads coming through. People want to buy a product, but you can't source it for two months if it's coming from Canada, let's say, for example. That's a problem. Mm. Whereas I'm assuming the um, getting products from Melbourne is going to be quicker. So I think you also need to factor in how long it's going to take, the cost. Um, there's, there's a lot to factor in here. Mm. But cost is probably a key element as well because in in a market like this, you're working on making money on volume, not sort of quality, if that makes mm. sense. Like your margins on these aren't always that big. So mm. you're, you're relying on quantity to make mm. it worth your while. I wonder what um, kind of snack brands they are. It would have been helpful to have that because – we're assuming that they're non-durable goods. Like, uh, so they're durable goods. So like there's something that is not perishing straight away um, because if they are, if there's something that requires some sort of input that is likely to perish, then you'll have to do air freight, which is so much more expensive mm-hmm. than shipping. Um, a lot of companies had to turn to air freight during COVID for some types of products because they simply couldn't get their product to market. Um, and it was just a absolute margin crunch. Uh, I would say this is a very, very, very difficult thing to do um, in the first instance. Like maybe there's an easier way to study what you're trying to do is like look at what the, the peers in the industry are doing, like go in and look at your peers and, and see what they are doing, speak to people, get some actual uh, feedback from people who are already doing it. Um, like I've spoken to many people that, and you guys do too with e-commerce that work with like drop shipping models for products like that widgets and watches and all different types of things that you might sell online, but they're not going to, you don't need to physically handle them. If you use drop shipping, um, you can send them straight to the destination. But with this, if it's a kid's snack brand, I'm thinking you might need to get some sort of approval to sell it. It's going to be a quite a harsh selling process into say kindergartens, if that's where you want to get it or into a supermarket. Very competitive. Yeah. And who's doing your, your like ticking off your nutritional guidelines as well? Because yeah. that's got to get factored in. Um, and is there a reason you can't go straight to India where mm. these people are mm. yeah. sourcing it from? Is it is you know, even locally? There yeah. might be local suppliers for a similar yeah. type product, right? Um, and then the the first thing is like for most business owners is how do you get to an MVP, the minimum viable product? So how can you get to making a product that doesn't force you to risk tens of thousands of dollars? Um, go and try it at a trade store or with family and friends or Assuming that it's safe, of course. Um, yeah. yeah, go and do that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The second question that came through from Jay, um, and Jordan, I know you have a rich <laughs> family history in this, so I'm going to direct this one to you, mate. Uh, it's from, also from Jay and says, uh, how do I go about starting my own prawn farm in New South Wales? Yeah, so I do have a deep family history in prawn farming. <laughs> Dates back generations. <laughs> um, no. 
I don't, by the way. You've always got to be um, careful because Jay had issues with you laughing at the, the franchise um, episode. You no, laughed too hard. Right. He's coming to your house. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jay, we mean it all sincerity. I'm just – of I course, just, of I course. just wanted to put. I just wanted to put Jordan in. Uh, make him sweat. Um, so, okay, um, what do you reckon? Um, okay, so I think first, I'm pretty sure you can breed them in tanks or some type. When I say tanks, I mean like tanks in in the ocean or in the water. Yeah. Um, if this was an oyster farm, it would be easier, but it's a prawn yeah. farm, so you need to have that. In, whether it's council approval, if it's not on private land, you need to get approval from a council. If it's on private land, then you know, do as you please. I'm pretty sure you have to have a certain. I've had. I'm basing this off a fish tank that I used to. Used to fish tank. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to have like the correct pH levels and whatnot to make sure they can thrive <laughs> in a certain environment. Um, and then once all the breeding is done, I guess you'd want to probably sell them at a fish market of some sort, whether it's down in Sydney or if you're going to go door knocking at local fish and chip shops, but I'd probably suggest going to the seafood markets once they've grown and developed and try and try and sell them there. Um, mm. In terms of getting more intricate, I'm not going to be able to help because I'm, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, my comments that I wrote were a lot lower level than that. Mine was like, <laughs> find a viable location first because I'm not even sure like, can you just rock up someone saying, knock on someone's door saying, hey, can I use your private access mm. to water and create a uh, prawn farm. Um, a lot of the waterways, I know in New South Wales anyways, are public uh, public property. So you'd have to go and get council approval. I know there's an oyster there's an oyster farm near where we live in the middle of, um, I think it's the George's River in, in Sydney. So I know there's oyster yeah. farms there, but again, I don't know if that's council land or private land. I'd probably mm. guess and say it's council land. So you'd need approval if, before you can set up. And yeah. there's a cop there before you even start. So there's a fees, legal fees. Yeah. rent to rent the land so yeah, what are you going to sell it to what, what's your customer base are you going to the markets are you going straight to consumer are you going to other businesses who's going to be buying the prawns from you well i think what's happening here is maybe uh, jay's seen an opportunity to obviously breed prawns to maybe sell into sh like restaurants um, uh, to shops, as you guys said, maybe even export, right? Aquaculture is a very, very big thing in Australia, whether it's salmon, uh, whether it's oysters. We have wonderful seafood here. Just travel overseas and you'll see why. Um, and we're very fortunate with that. And if you go down the New South Wales coast, basically from, well, anywhere basically, but for say you go from Port Macquarie all the way down to say Marimbula, which is down the south, that whole area is filled with oysters, like mm, yeah. especially like a marimbula on the south coast and all that. That is just full of oyster beds. And um, a lot of people that I know that go prawn fishing do it on boats. They don't farm it. And um, you can see those prawn fishermen and fisherwomen out at, uh, all across Australia, particularly on the east coast. And that may be a better option if this is something that you are very much committed to. If you, for example, instead of taking all of the capital risk of investing in one of these businesses and starting it from scratch, why not see if you can get between it and find the part that you are interested in, which might be the distribution of prawns and selling prawns into restaurants and that sort of stuff, and go and forge relationships with the fishing community and sell it into the restaurants for a premium that you want to. It's a much lower risk way to take the business idea and take the bits that you like and do it that way. And then as your knowledge of the industry grows, you can you can expand beyond that, Jay. Um, because I think there's a 
very like Jordan was saying, there's a lot of risk here, right? If you if you just roll out of bed and you want to go do one of these things, I would encourage you to do it in a company structure. You guys are accountants, just because there may be risk involved. Um, you'd want to get proper advice and you'd want to speak to people that already do it. Yeah, that's the number one thing here. For um, sure, I was. It can be very capital intensive too, and that's that's the thing when you're trying out an idea. You, you, you want to try and bootstrap it as much as you can, but given, I mean, if, if you need to sign leases and whatnot and there's no MVP has been proven yet, then it's a, it's a risky, it's a risky play. Yeah. Like the commercial fishing game is a, is a valid uh, opportunity in Australia for lots of, lots of businesses. It's not easy. Um, but uh, I think you guys might've said that you met Jay at the Rask event in Sydney. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Was Jay involved in, uh, like the restaurant industry or something like that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, if that's the case, then Jay could probably use that to his advantage and um, perhaps he'd be more well accustomed to what his skill set is, which I think, Daniel, you talked about a few months ago on the show, talking about using what you already know to then leverage that into a business that you want to run. And if farming isn't your thing, well, maybe the selling and the getting into restaurants is. Um, yep. So maybe I try that avenue. Yeah, I agree. I think turn to an agent-like sort of approach, you know, source the product, find the seller yeah. and take your margin. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a lower risk way to learn mm. about the industry. And this is like this whole idea, isn't it, like of being upstream and downstream in a, in a market. So a market segment, you can either be upstream and sell the thing or you can be downstream where you're the producer. And yeah. sometimes it's not better to own the whole vertical. Sometimes it's better just to pick the level you want to be. Okay, I want to be a producer or I want to be a seller or a consumer or I want to do retail, B2B, whatever it might be. Pick the spot of the market that you think you can actually add value. Mm. Or you can you can be like Standard Oil and just end-to-end own the whole process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but obviously, Standard Oil is a gigantic business and yeah. uh, <laughs> it didn't start there, right? So, no. yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting – you know what? That's a very interesting case study to go through how that okay. – how they started and, and, and where they got to. So maybe that's something we can go through as well. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do the case mm. studies if you guys are keen. So sure. the, the last question that's in our uh, chat for today, and please send more in, is, um, and we're hoping to do these every week, so please send them in. Billy Boy writes in and says, I'm wanting to start a school holiday sports camp for kids. To begin with, I will be the owner and sole employee of the camp, running different sports and activities for up to 20 kids to enjoy my gross income will be roughly $120,000 per year. The only assets I will have will be approximately $5,000 of sports equipment. I think this particular structure would lend itself to a sole trader, but I am concerned working with kids bears high risk. What do you guys think about that? This is a sports camp on the holidays for kids. Um, seems like it's got you know, high margins. What do you guys think about the structure? You guys have been talking about this a lot lately. Yeah, I actually agree with him. I think this probably is appropriate for a sole trader structure if we're just looking at the income side of things. Because um, if his gross income is 120, um, taking you know expenses that are tax deductible, you're generally going to be sitting under that 25% tax rate that you would be having in the company anyway. So I think sole traders is quite an, sort of appropriate, especially if it's school holiday. You've got to remember it's periodical, it's seasonal. It's not something you need all the time. Um, and who knows, you might do the first run of school holidays, turn out, turns out you don't like kids all of a sudden. And you, can, <laughs> you can run one camp and that's it and go, you know, I made a bit of money, cool little venture, cool it mm. a day. Um, the risk part is sort of where 
things start to go, like, do we incorporate or not? Um, my question is, you know, what type of risk are you referring to? Like, because I'm assuming you're probably going to need a you know, safe work with kids safety check beforehand, have all relevant council approval to it, because I'm assuming you're probably running it at a park, at a council park or anything, something yeah. like that. Um, from there, it's sort of like what other risk is there involved? Get some insurances for, for any injuries if kids hurt themselves, yeah. whatnot. Um, I don't see what could come back to you unless I'm missing something, but I've never. I feel like it's um, just like you said, kids injuring themselves. So mm. it's probably like any type of uh, professional indemnity insurance mm-hmm. or um, general liability. Uh, it's probably things that people would want. They'd also probably want to establish things like risk management policies. Just so if worst case scenario, you want to better defend yourself in, mm-hmm. in court. You want like first aid and CPR. Yeah. Um, you want to be working with other providers that also have working with children. So that's a really big one. Yeah. And also working with other businesses that have um, general and public liability. Um, these are really important things to tick off. That's why whenever you go into a job site, they ask you for things like your white card if you're in construction or they ask you for uh, your insurance certificate of currency because mm-hmm. they need to protect themselves because if they don't follow their own processes, they can be sued even if they have insurance. So um, those are some of things. But I think like, so I think 100% I agree with you, Daniel. Like you'd want to make sure that you get something off the ground first. And I think a lot of these questions about starting businesses are how do you test it? How do you test the idea? Um, which is a great question. Um, cool, guys. So I thought maybe um, the, the title of this was uh, maybe four SEO secrets that any business owner can incorporate. So I wanted to show you guys something that um, I think I showed to you just off air before, but a lot of people don't know this. You can actually go online and you can find when it comes to SEO, you can find the Google Search Quality Evaluator Guidelines. So we'll include a, a PDF in the link in the, the podcast uh, description if you just go into your podcast player. But what it is, it's 170, 176 pages of what Google's search uh, team look for in their results. So there's a quality evaluator team. So this is a team of human beings that look at search results and make judgments on what goes into it. And it actually shows you all of the things that they're looking for when your content gets uh, surfaced in a Google search engine. And so you can look at all the different things here that they're looking for in order to, I guess, reinvent it. Uh, and use your website as a tool that plays into these things. Because if that's what they're training the algorithm to do, that's what you should know. The other thing that you can use is like a free guide from um, Yoast SEO. I know you guys don't use Yoast, do you? Yeah, we're, I'm using Rank Math at the moment, but I think I'm going to convert. Yeah. I use Yoast at Rask. We didn't always use it. We used to use all-in-one all SEO. Uh, now we use Yoast SEO as our plugin for search. Um, and it, the good thing about Yoast SEO is it um, – it will automatically um, tell you if your page, they think your page is uh, like scores well or could score well for SEO. Uh, so when you type in your article, or you type in your blog post, it will give you a score. Like a, It's more like a traffic light system. They'll be like green, amber, or red. Um, and it'll do the same thing for your title, for your SEO description, so on and so forth. Um, and this is a free resource that's available to anyone on the internet. The one thing, I don't know if you guys have listened to it yet, have you guys listened to the blog, Millionaire? Yeah, I listened to this blog. Yeah. 
um, Brandon Gailey is his name. Uh, this is probably, I think this is the best podcast on the internet for learning about SEO and actually what works. Like yep. it's, it is so good. Seven minute, 10 minute episodes. Yeah, they're, not not, they're all super long. And he's got this great series that started a couple of months ago. Um, and we want to do a, 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 we want to do a series similar to this, which is Google SEO secrets. And it's like, it's a 13 part series. And I got our new content manager to sit through it and make notes. Um, and it's so good. It is so good. You can digest it on your way to work while you're doing a workout. I think if you could get one thing from each episode, your, your SEO will go through the roof. Um, though I did have a few other tips that um, I thought I'd share if you want me to. Yep. Because there, there was one question that came through and it came through on our Investors Podcast channel. I'm just bringing it up now. Not through our business podcast, um, but it got to us anyway. Um, I'm just going to try and find it. Sorry. So... Uh, okay, so the question was from Big Feet Investor who said, um, great work, been listening to your investors podcast for some time, but recently listened to your business podcast, listened to 10 in a row and loved them, even though I have had my own plumbing business since 1992. It's incredible. I would love your opinion on the people that email you regarding SEO. I have used a company, I used a company 15 years ago and they turned out to be fraudsters. Do you think they have cleaned up the industry and are of any use. Cheers, Stuart. Um, P.S. Keep up the good work and don't forget to rest up a bit and enjoy life. Okay. Thanks, mate. That's a good tip. Uh, yeah, Cheers. that's a great tip. Um, so have you guys ever received those emails from like those random emails that come into your inbox? I have a story. I have a story about this. <laughs> <laughs> story time with Jordan. These, okay. these, this went uh, very, very wrong. And um, so someone signed up to it. Um, who we can't name, can't name the, the agency. They signed up to it um, to a for a contract that was X amount of years for for six thousand dollars a month, I think it was. Um, and then we got like an external consultant to go in there and do a bit of a review, and they were doing nothing. So they used um, is it called Dirty SEO or, or Black SEO, where they get a really big spike when you first start working with them using different backlinks and different keywords. I don't even know if there was paid traffic that was used. So you think, oh, yeah, fantastic. And then they upsell you and lock you into a contract. So once that contract was signed, it was nothing happened. Looking at the the, the SEM rush, which, which is like a, a tracking tool to see if that, that traffic had gone up and the Google Analytics to see if that traffic went up, but there, there was nothing. So in short, I think be very wary of these businesses that are cold reach outs, especially if they're, if they're not um, Australian-based as well. Yeah. Wow, that's scary. There's a lot of cowboys, a lot of cowboys in the industry, cowboys and cowgirls. Yeah, I would say, yeah, don't trust anything that comes through your emails, a cold email like that. It's like the old, you know, the, the skimmers that or the scammers that try to come through and send you a link. It looks like National Australia Bank, but it's actually something completely different and you click on it and you're done. Um, yeah, I, I feel like... Um, if you do it, the, probably the best thing is to look at what who other people have worked for in the past and try to get to know them and not enter in a contract up front because marketing and SEO is basically a black box, right? You don't know straight away if it's going to work. So it's always interesting to me where these big businesses like corporates go and pay a marketing agency or a SEO agency or something and they don't know the results. And um, I always think to myself, why would you enter in a long-term agreement without at least a way to get out of it pretty quick? If it doesn't work, um, yep. so just be really careful. I'll give you a couple more um, SEO tips that I've learned over time. 
Um, one is that the permalinks that you use, which we talked about before, like the actual link structure that you use is very, very important. If you use WordPress or Wix, you can actually just change that really easily. So choose the right links um, to put in your website. But the other thing is, if you're going to upload anything to your website, here's something that's really important, is name the file before you upload it. So name the file, whether it's an image, uh, a podcast file, a video file, anything, a screenshot. Do not upload screenshot date 2nd of October 2023-1611678. Name the file something which the search engine would want to know what it is. So I'll give you an example of this. So say, for example, you write a blog post uh, and the blog post is latest changes to um, turnover rules. I don't know, I'm just making something out for, for the ATO. And you take a screenshot of something that you've seen or that you've read online, right? And you're like, okay, this looks cool. Or you do something in Canva and you take a screenshot of it or you download the image. Name that image ATO turnover changes 2023 and then upload it, right? Because when Google ranks that, they'll rank it by what they know for certain it is. They're never going to rank something based on like a screenshot name. And then what happens is when you go into Google and you search, you notice how there's those images that come up every now and again? Yep. They only come up because someone's named them appropriately. Is that different to where you put the keyword, you embed the keywords into the image? So yes. Okay. So you, you can do both, but you'd want to name the title for sure what it actually is that you're searching for. So I'll give you a good example here. Let's say we go Google GS, uh, GS Advisory again and uh, see how Daniel's image has come up here. If we click on this, let's save this image. Um, I actually, let's see if I can click on this image itself. We can't I'll, see your screen, by the way. Oh, okay, I'll just bring this up here. Good. Okay, <laughs> so we've got an image of Daniel here and we can go save image. So it says Daniel, right? It just says your name. That's whatever it was saved as. Now, if this said Daniel, gray, uh, gray space advisory, right? If that's how it was written up on the website and embedded on the website, then when I went into Google, and if I just type in Daniel, unless you are a soccer player or a male model, right? You're not showing up on, on Google. But if I do Daniel gray space advisory, right? Now, your image should show up here if it was named correctly. Right. Right. So, but it's because it's not named. So, we still got it here, which is great because we can see it's linked from the website, but we know the image isn't named correctly. Some really interesting <laughs> ones here from uh, Jordan as well. <laughs> um, so, I remember doing that as a kid, just like Googling your name and going to the images, see if anything came up. Now it yeah. does. Yeah, now it does. Now you're famous. Um, so that's what I would say. <laughs> I can see Marco in the chat just put in, uh, agree, do not use the cold caller SEO people. Obviously Marco's had a pretty dodgy experience with that. As Marco well. knows. Yeah, Marco yeah. knows. So, um, so I hope that clears things up. There's some secrets that anyone can use is upload a file name that actually makes sense. It takes about two seconds. Obviously, the smaller the image file, the better. JPEG is better than PNG for websites. Um when you set the page name for your website, make it prescriptive um, and then use that those resources, Yoast, uh, the Google thing if you want to dive deep and, of course, um, any sort of plugins and things like this and they will help you so much. If you want to know more, uh, keep listening to the Australian Business Podcast uh, and we'll come back to you next week. But, guys, before I'm guilty of rambling on for too long, thanks for joining me. Anyone that joined live, thanks for joining us. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, and... 
check out Grace Space Advisory, uh, the new website. So check, check it out. out. Check it out. Grace Space Advisory, gsadvisory.com.au. Check it out. Get some accounting advice. Get these guys on your team. Thanks, Marco, for tuning in. We'll speak to you guys next week. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.